now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. and welcome to another edition of Mets Musings. I hope everybody is doing great out there. And Mets fans, we have some breaking news for you tonight. This started out as just going to be an encore edition of Mets Musings and an interview I did with former Met Archamsky of the 69 Mets. Uh, and it was his book that came out a couple of years ago called After the Miracle. And he talks about the brotherhood of the 69 Mets and, and uh, a group that got together players and went to pay a visit to Tom Seaver. And it turns out it's probably the last time they all visited him or seen him uh, before his early passing. So... It's one of my favorite interviews, and I wanted to bring it back. But before we get to that, first off, the Mets have extended Jeff McNeil for four years, $50 million bucks, According to Jeff Passan of ESPN, the reported deal, which is not done yet because it's pending physical. Oh, God, those physicals. Uh, includes a fifth year that would take the value of the entire contract to $63.75 million. Now, McNeil's coming off his best season. Of course, he won the NL batting title at 326 and uh, had a terrific year um, and is well-deserved it, and the Mets wanted to tie him up. Of course, now the next question is going to be when do they tie up Alonzo? Uh, they have two years of uh, uh, control over both Alonzo and McNeil, so they bought out McNeil's essentially bought out the two first two years of his uh, free agency as well. So uh, this contract will run until he's 34. Again, is an option. He could uh, uh, be until he's 35. And he's, you know, he's the kind of hitter. He should still be viable up to that age. He's not a power hitter, so you don't worry about him losing power. He's a contact hitter, and usually those guys can play. Uh, you know. Um, a, a little bit longer, look like a Rod Carew and, and along those lines. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's a good deal for the Mets. It solidifies the infield for the next few years. He'll be playing next to Lindor, who's here for 10 years. Uh, or eight, whatever's left on his contract. Uh, I'm sure they'll get something done with Alonzo. And look. They, they missed the opportunity a couple of years ago. They could have signed these guys probably at a lower rate. But uh, really, Alonso came out in, in rookie year and hit 50 homers. So uh, there's, there's nothing you could do. You know, uh, you're not going to get him cheap after his rookie year anyway. So, uh, but his continuing hitting the power numbers 
and uh, making the all-star team. And that's going to add up the bucks for these guys. But you want stability. If you could be stable on, you know, three-fourths of the infield and then just have to worry about third base, if, if Batty uh, can make it, you can have a nice, stable, young, relatively young infield for the next five, six years or so. But got to get Alonzo signed now. That is the key. And uh, once you do, you'll have stability. Let's see. They could wait on Alonzo and give it a couple of more years. They still have two years of control, but then you run the risk of losing him and uh, not sure uh, that's, you know, that's the direction they want to go. There's really nobody uh, of his caliber in the minor league coming along to play first base. Of course, you can always move somebody over, but uh, you, you, you want to keep a Pete Alonso, I would think, at this point of his career. The AAV for the contract extension is $12.5 million. Therefore, the Mets' new projected payroll tax would be around $467 million, according to Passan. It's a little estimates at this point in time, but I believe last time we were together in the last show, I advocated signing McNeil, and I thought, I may or may not have said it on this show, but I thought uh, four years, uh, about uh, $12 million a year, $48 million. so I was pretty close. Uh, they gave him a little bit more than I thought. But, um, you know, it's a good signing for them uh, again. And uh, Jeff McNeil is now in the fold. So, no, all, all the arbitration cases have been settled. He was the only one that they did not sign. Uh, but now that's done. So, the Mets have... Clear sailing uh, with Alonzo signed for $14 million for this year. They got clear sailing into spring training, which is, what, like 23 days away or something along that line. Not too far at all. So uh, something, uh, it's getting close, folks. Oh, it's getting so close. You can almost feel it. And the excitement starting to build here in New York, I guess, and as uh, we get we inch closer to spring training. All right. We're going to take a break. And when I come back, it will be a different version of me from the past. From the past. And we'll be interviewing Art Shamsky on his book, After the Miracle and Believe me, it's a terrific book, and everybody, it's still available. Go out and get it. It really is uh, something to read. It, it's it's this generation, or or I guess my generation's Boys of Summer. If you've ever read the Boys of Summer, then you have to read After the Miracle. So right after this, we'll be back with Art Shamsky. Baseball and BBQ, your place for interesting baseball talk, opinions, and history. 
Baseball and BBQ, your place for barbecue recipes, tips, and interviews from the world of barbecue. If you like baseball and if you like barbecue, then tune in to Baseball and BBQ. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and BaseballTalkRadio.com. Did you know that Baseball PhD can be heard on BaseballTalkRadio.com? Our shows rotate with other top baseball podcasts. Now, don't forget, that's BaseballTalkRadio.com. With us, we'll help you get a Ph.D. in life through baseball. With BaseballTalkRadio.com, you'll hear the rest of the excellent universe of baseball podcasts. Hello, baseball fans. You're listening to Baseball Talk Radio, the home of great baseball talk shows. At BaseballTalkRadio.com, you're going to find great shows like this one with the great Gary Mack and the Mets Musings Podcast. And now back to the show. Can you believe that it's 50 years already? Well, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to believe in a sense, but on, on, on the other hand, you know, I live in the New York City area, mm-hmm. and, and for me, it seems like every day somebody talks to me about that team. For those of us like myself and Eddie Cranepool and Buddy Harrelson, who who hasn't been well but still lives in the area, for us who have done so many things over the years, I don't think we feel it the same way as some of the guys who live outside of the area and don't, don't do as many things. Uh, we all, we're constantly doing personal appearances mm-hmm. and, and, and things of that nature, and so – and I and I live in the city, and I'm reminded every day about having been played, having played for that team. Somebody hears my name or recognizes me or something, and and that team has been the legacy of that team has been passed on from generation to generation. So people remember it, um, um, you know, talk about it, and 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 they know how important we were to the city of New York and to the country to some extent. So. Um, I'm, it, it's been, I know it's been 50 years. I don't feel like it's been 50 years, but the reality of it is I've gotten older, so it, it's been 50 years, so <laughs> it's, it's true. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've joined you, too, with that getting old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like to use the word older. Not, older, not so okay. Older. I like that. I like that. Um, the book is 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 a terrific read. It's just uh, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, uh, you know, to me, it's this generation's boys of summer. It really is that poignant at times, uh, especially to me as a sixty six year old Met fan. The the um, the opening chapter and the closing chapter were really uh, the ones that really brought. A bunch of emotions to me, um, both happiness and 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 sadness, and and I'm not saying it's a sad book, uh, not by any means. It's 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 uh, a fascinating book, and it's well read, well read, and and well written. Um, but uh, to me, as a fan, I'm just saying that it it, it brought about all all kinds of emotions and uh, recalled the time that was, uh, you know, I know it was a turbulent time in our history, but I really had a good summer that year. <laughs> and it, yeah, uh, it was a great year for New York sports with the Jets first winning in in January and then us winning in October and and then the Knicks winning in May of '70. Uh, and I, my first book was The Magnificent Seasons, mm-hmm. and I wrote about those three teams who. Right. 
all of us had won for the first time. Nobody had ever won before. But but this book was different. Um, there's been so many books written about that team. Um, and when I sat down with Eric Sherman, who co-wrote it with me, we talked about what we wanted to do for this 50th anniversary. And my thought was that instead of doing something where, you know, everybody's could go online and see the day-to-day games that went on. Mm-hmm. And even though we talk about those a little bit, some of those special games, et cetera, I, I, we wanted it, both Eric and I wanted it to be something special. And, and it's interesting that you said that about the first and the last couple of chapters, because it, if we, we felt like we wanted to, to, to get emotional about this, because in my mind, the book is about uh, friendships, mm-hmm. um, love to some extent about your teammates and also about aging. I mean, the fact is that we've all gotten older and we've lost uh, about 10 members of that team. And, and now we have uh, guys that are ill and, and, and so it is, it's a reality. And so, so for me, um, that part is sad, but the reality of it is that the, the fact that the team kind of lives on forever is something that all of us uh, who were part of that team can cherish because it was such a special time. And, when we went out to, to see Tom, I knew then that, that um, well, first of all, that we, to go out there was really a challenge because, you know, we could have picked any guys to go out there, but I wanted Buddy to do it. It was important for us to be. But it could have been anybody. It could have been anybody on the team, and, and, and it also had to do with availability. Uh, um, and Ronnie Svoboda went out, and uh, and Jerry Kuzman was the other two, and then Eric Sherman and myself, and just coordinating guys to fly in. Ronnie's wife had, had been ill; she had just had surgery, and so that was a challenge. And and so so that part of it had to fall into place. But the most difficult thing was that when I talked to Tom, you know, a couple months before we were going to do this, and I said we want to come out and see you, and he said great, and. We had a great conversation. He said, but you got to call my wife, Nancy, because she'll coordinate. I might forget about the dates and everything like that. And I said, not a problem. So uh, I talked to Nancy a number of times. And and the thing that she told me right off the bat was that Tom has good days and he has bad days. And and hopefully when you get out here, it'll be a good day. And so that was a challenge because we flew all the way out there from New York, and then Ron Soboda came from New Orleans, and mm-hmm. Kuzman came from Minneapolis, and and we had to meet at the same time to be able to drive to Calistoga, and and then at that that even after that, we didn't know if Tom was going to be feeling well enough right. for us to stop by and see him. Well, it, it it turned out he was fine, and and we went out and we sat down at his house and we reminisced, and it was a a, a great great day, and then we ended up going to lunch and and um down in calistoga and and spending time with him and reminiscing and and everybody kind of throwing out things and and laughing i mean you couldn't ask for a better situation it turned out to be a beautiful day out there in calistoga and napa valley and tom was one of those days he was feeling good but he did tell us at the time that he didn't think he'd be traveling anymore and that he was really for all intents and purposes was done with any baseball kind of things he was just going to enjoy his life Working in the the wine uh, fields, he had he's got uh, three acres of, of wine, and I think he's got a total of over a hundred acres. But but just three acres of wine, and he goes out there every day, and he prunes the wines, and he does what he has to do to get the company that that makes the wine get ready, and he enjoys that. But I knew back then that that 
that even though the day was great and we really had a wonderful time reminiscing that that um, I didn't know if he, I didn't probably I probably thought at that time he wasn't going to be traveling anymore yet he, he hasn't been to the Hall of Fame in a couple years for the ceremonies and I knew then that uh, he wasn't going to be coming back and then when I heard the news last Thursday oh. it was kind of kicking the gut but it yeah. wasn't I wasn't so surprised that while I was in shock because of a friend and a teammate the fact that I knew then that he was having some memory problems I said he had he had Lyme disease for over 20 years right and mm-hmm. and that he got that in Connecticut before he even moved to California and he's been dealing with that for over 20 years and that directly affects your memory so uh, I'm not a doctor so I can't say exactly what what's <laughs> yeah. going on but but I do know that uh, that has some direct effect on his memory and and um, and I think what he's going to do now is family's just going to enjoy his family and and um, take advantage of, uh, of of what he what he likes to do and that's work in the wine fields and enjoy his life. So uh, we're, I'm, I'm hoping that that's, that's the case, but I don't think he'll be traveling much anymore. Well, I, I know uh, that all the New York fans, Met fans, are, are praying for him and hoping that uh, he does have, uh, you know, can live out his days the way he wants to and uh, don't, doesn't let this, uh, this thing beat him. I, I, uh, my father had the same thing, and it's it's a very sad disease. Um, but I, I think also that it it adds a little. That news really added something to this book coming out. We're talking with Art Shamsky. He's got a book coming out after the miracle, the lasting brotherhood of the '69 Mets, and uh, I, I think that news really makes this book even more important because. It may be the last time that you guys get all to get together yeah, with yeah, him. That, I think we even said that in the book. We 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 got the feeling when we said goodbye. Um, you know, and again, I go back to the fact that we've lost ten guys on that team, including our great manager Gil Hodges and and uh, four of our coaches and you know key members of that team. Everybody who passed away was a key member of that team. And first with Cal Coons and then Don Cardwell and Tommy Agee and and uh, Tug McGraw and, uh, and, you know, it's, 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 it's been, a, it's been, a, and now Ed Charles, Ed a year Charles, ago, it's, yeah. it's been a sad, sad state of affairs, but that's the aging process. And, and, and so while we have our memories and we reminisce, we, 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 we sob for those guys who were part of this great team and, and won't be around for the, for this, this, this 50th anniversary, but that team was very, very special. And, 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 and listen, I admit it, I'm in New York. I'm still in New York because of it. It's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it was a team. I played 13 years, and for all intents and purposes, nobody ever talks about the other 12. <laughs> it's really about 1969. And, and, um, and I, I just, I'm just so happy to have been part of that team. I, you know, I get questions all the time saying, don't you wish you were playing now and making all the money? And I say, well, are you crazy? Of course. But the reality of it, for two reasons, I say, really, the, the reality of it is that, I wouldn't trade this World Series ring that I have for anything and no amount of money. And the second thing is I played with and against some guys in the mid-60s and early 70s that I believe was the greatest conglomerate of players in the history of baseball. And just the National League with Mays, Aaron, Clemente. I played with Frank Robinson, Pete Rose, Johnny Bench. Look at all the great pitchers I played against in, in, in the National League with 
with Colfax, Marischal, Drysdale, uh, Perry, Gibson, Carlton, Seaver, um, um, Ferguson, Jenkins, uh, Jim Bunning. I mean, all these guys went on to be in the Hall of Fame. And, and so I'm very lucky to have been part of not only that team, but that era of great players. But that team was so special and, and so memorialized. Uh, there's been so many books. I don't even know how many books have been written about that team. And so getting back to, the, you know, I'm kind of diversing a little bit here on, the, but getting back to the, the way we wanted to do the book is really, we wanted to do something different. And, 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 and while, while, you know, all, so many games were important that year and so many players contributed to the success of that team it was really about friendships and, and, and like I said, aging and, and dedication and trust for your teammates. And, and, um, and I think that's the important thing about the book. The timing with Tom is, is incredible. I mean, nobody wanted it, but mm-hmm. it's the fact is it's incredible timing with this going out. And, and I hope people that read it appreciate the fact that, that it was a, a team that everybody got along with. Everybody loved everybody else. Everybody pulled for everybody else. There was, there was no animosity. There was no uh, judging anybody. Gil Hodges, our manager, was a great manager. And, and look what he did. He platooned in, in four or five positions and got the most out of everybody and was able to get guys on the bench who weren't playing much involved in the game. And as it turned out, everybody on that team contributed to something, some success of that team. And look at Al Weiss, what he did in the World Series and and um, and, and Don Clendenin, what he did. And and Rod Gaspar, you know, all these all these guys were part of that team. And I could go on and on with names and <laughs> Wayne Garrett yeah. and Charles, you know. But, but it was a great group of guys. And, and um, I'm just hoping people that read After the Miracle just enjoy the closest that we had. And, and um, I know people have said to me that the first chapter was a little sad and the last uh, couple chapters were. But, but the reality of it is that's life. And, and, mm-hmm. uh, and we all felt when we said goodbye to Tom that it was a, an emotional emotional time and that uh, but we were so thankful that we got that those moments to share and 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 to tell some lies those stories might have been stretched out a little bit but the reality of it is they were <laughs> golden moments they were golden moments for all of us who were part of that that trip out there and then talking to the guys in the course of writing the book is some of the some of the fun things that came back and some of the the, the the momentous events that happened that year were so special and they still resonate with fans today. People still talk about the black cat, right. they talk about right. Tom's almost perfect game. that's yeah. taken on a life of its own. They talk about the Steve Carlton strikeout game with 19 and we win the game four to two because Swoboda hits two, two run home runs. I mean, I made the last out of a no hitter pitched against us that year. I mean, we can go on and on and on, and it's just crazy things that happen, but it's all part of the, the legacy of that team. And, and not to even mention what else went on in the world with the uh, Woodstock and man landing on the moon, but I wanted to talk a little bit about Gil Hodges. Uh, I'm of the belief he should be in the Hall of Fame, but, uh, you know, uh, I, I can remember interviews with Tom Seaver where he practically breaks down in tears when he talks about Gil Hodges. Uh, a number of the guys, he was so beloved on that team and so well-respected. Ed Cranepool often talks about uh, how he differed with him. And you speak on the book about how Sloboda said he wished he had more conversations, didn't fight with him as much. Uh, talk a little bit about Gil Hodges, if you will. Well, Gil was uh, 
was the strength of that team. I was, he was a terrific manager. He managed by feel. And uh, what I mean to say is he, he felt the game. Uh, he made out lineups based on what he felt, and, and he knew that at some point he was going to have to get uh, those guys at the end of the bench involved and in, in, in if he wanted them to do some, some, some things that would help the team win over the course of the year, and he did. And so he, I don't know, he, he wouldn't, I don't even know if he would like managing today with the saber metrics and right. all the printouts and everything, but he was a manager of feel and, 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 and all of us respected what he had to say. I, I can honestly say that I didn't have that many conversations with him. Uh, um, he was a very strong disciplinarian, but we all respected him. And, 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 and even when he was platooning myself and Swoboda in right field and, Clendenin and Cranepool and Weiss and Boswell and Garrett and Charles at third base and sometimes even Grody behind the plate with J.C. Martin and Duffy Dyer. Um, we didn't like it. it. It wasn't good for our career, but it was working. And 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 all of us who who, who, were, who were involved in that situation respected Gill, and he was he would look you in the eye and he would talk to you and tell you how he felt, and there was nothing nothing that was you know you don't. You want anything more from a manager and just be honest with you, but it was working and we all accepted it and we all pulled for each other and and look at if you if you look at some of the collective numbers at each position, we had pretty good years. That's Swoboda and myself. Uh, we had almost an all-star mm-hmm. year out there in right field and Clendenin and Cranepool at first and like I said, the other guys uh, collectively did really well. So it was working and 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 Gil, to his credit, was really the force and I. I do believe that, like you, he should be in the Hall of Fame uh, for a number of reasons, and that would be another radio program, quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs> but he certainly, if you look at his numbers compared to some of the guys that are in there, like Cepeda and Perez and Santo, I mean, he's right up there in a lot of the categories. But but he died too young. Uh, he was 47, I think, oh. two days shy of his 48th birthday. And, and I do believe the Mets would have won more World Series if he would have been around to, to guide them. But... But uh, he was a great manager because he demanded respect from his players and, and really was the catalyst. And when he came over in 68, which was my first year, mm-hmm. I remember in spring training, he basically said, you guys are not going to be the same old Mets. And for me, it was a new experience because I hadn't been with the Mets before that, but I had played against them. And you knew if you didn't win two out of three games against them, you were not, it was a lousy series. And so when when I got over and he was there, you knew it was going to be, it was going to be no nonsense, and even though we finished ninth, uh, half game out of last place in '68, you knew that the the direction was going in the right way. And I think Gil uh, never got as much credit as he deserved for leading that team, but he certainly was the catalyst. And uh, I know you're a little uh, you're on a time schedule, um, but my producer wants me to ask you about the Cleon uh, uh, Jones in the World Series the uh, shoe polish ball was that ah. <laughs> you were probably on the bench for well that. here's the thing as i tell everybody um i was on the bench uh, because i was on the bench and i was at the other end of the bench and and uh, i i know the whole scenario with the ball mm-hmm. hitting cleon and rolling into the dugout and then gill walking out with a ball with a little scuff mark on it and and the way Cleon tells it is he didn't want to go to first base, even though he knows the ball hit him because he wanted to hit. Now, if you believe that story, I have a, a bridge for you to buy in the, over, the, over the East River. But, uh, but the way it worked out is um, um, the big argument, and Cleon gets first base, and, 
and uh, Glenn Denon then hit then hits the home run. But I have to believe that Gill, in all his honesty, wouldn't have done anything shady. But I really didn't see, so I'm not the, the not a person to real ask. But but there's all very varying stories about this, and the Kuzma's involved in that. As always, he's always in the middle of something, and and um, but uh, Cleon finally got smart and said, "Okay, let me go to first base," you know. And yeah. uh, but he always claimed the ball did hit him, but he didn't want to go to first base because he wanted to hit off Dave McNally. So I find that a little strange, but but. Um, but it was a strange game in a strange year, one game of many that were unbelievable, the Black Cat, the almost perfect game. Right. I mean, so many things happened that we talked about before, but it was a year for us, and, and that year God was a Met fan. There's no doubt about it. But <laughs> but, but it's, so, it's so great to be able to talk to about it and to be, people like yourself and who remember it and, and cherish those moments 50 years ago because – um, you know, and, you know, I don't think you'll ever see a, a year like that where three teams in New York win championships all for the first time. No. Nobody had ever won before, and so, mm-hmm. so it was a, an incredible year for, for for sports in New York City. And and now we're talking about it 50 years later, and and it's it's really nice to be able to reminisce and and remember those those wonderful times because they brought a lot of smiles to people's faces and. And we were we were a team that made people feel better about their life. So the world was was really crazy back then with the war in Vietnam and all sorts of negative things. You mentioned Woodstock and the Walk on the Moon. Those are really two of the only kind of good things. I mean, everything else was bad news. And so right. we kind of made people feel better about their lives for whatever brief time it was. And I think people are thankful for that and pass it on to to their kids and and their kids' kids and. And I always get people coming up to me saying, hey, you know, I was really strapped for money or I was in Vietnam in the worst place in the world. And you made me feel a lot better about where I was. And I said, I always tell myself, if I could have, I made somebody feel better about their life for a moment, then I've accomplished something. And I think that's all of us who were part of that team feel like we were able to do that. It certainly wasn't. And one quick memory for me, I was at the NLE's clinching game. I, we had gone to a game in August and decided to buy tickets in September towards the end of the season. We we happened to buy that night purely by accident, had them a month ahead of time, went with my father uh, and a friend of mine, uh, and uh, it was the most exhilarating feeling uh, ever in my lifetime as a 16-year-old kid up to that point to be there when the Mets first won something, you know? And, yeah, and, and part of it part of it because of where they came from. Um, I can't exactly. take the blame for those early years because I was with Cincinnati. <laughs> but but uh, those early years were really, really, people came to the ballpark to see them lose. Right. I mean, they, yeah. they did. They were, out of it by, they were out of it by June in terms of any kind of pennant race. And so... So for guys like Eddie Cranepool, who hit the home run in Game Three of the World Series, uh, there was like a, a revelation for him to be part of that that winning team to see of all the good, the bad, and the ugly that he saw. And so, and so people remember how bad that team was. And that particular game you're talking about was the first of three celebrations we had at mm-hmm. Chase Stadium. The field got torn up, but right. but like you, we were all caught up in how exciting that was to to be part of that experience and. And uh, and at that point, we didn't know we were going to win a pennant after that or a World Series. But just to win that division was really exciting for us. And we knew then that we had a, a really good team. And 
and that uh, I don't know the exact amount of games we won from from end of August on, but I believe we had an incredible record from the end of August on to the end of the season and ended up winning 100 games that year. And, you know, we beat a pretty good Baltimore team that won 108. Mm-hmm. It was three 20-game winners. So so, so we all uh, we all feel like we really accomplished something. I do have a distinction, though, of making the last out of the only game we lost in the World Series. So if that's <laughs> worth anything, uh, you know, at the time, nobody saw – everybody thought we might lose four in a row, but not us, not the team, but fans and some of the media. But we ended up winning the next game when Kuzman pitched a great game in Baltimore and then mm-hmm. won the next three in New York, and the rest is history. But you did hit five thirty eight in the NLCS, so that's something, right? I had I, I had a, I had a great series against Atlanta, and didn't start and was frustrated. That's what I talked about before. Right. All of us were frustrated because I don't start the first game of the World Series, and then he sends me up to pinch hit against the left hander Mike Cuellar. <laughs> you know, I, I I always tell people this story. It's it's really interesting. You 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 um you think about your first at bat in the big leagues or your first at bat in professional baseball, maybe your first home run. But I must tell you, this is the honest to God truth. I think about that at bat in the ninth inning of game one in the world series against Mike Quayer. And I do think about that every single day of my life, that one pitch that I hit the second base, yeah. I could have hit it out of the ballpark and been a hero, but I, I ended up grounding out. And it's interesting. I've done some great things in my career, but I always think about that at bat. So so uh, I haven't told too many people about that, but that one at bat, I wish I could have back right now because he threw me a pitch right down the middle of the plate, my Cuellar, and I just grounded out to second base. But, but uh, again, to be part of that team, to be part of that, 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 that excitement, and now 50 years later for me is very, very special. Well, Art, I, again, I know you have a schedule to keep, and I kept you a little bit over, and I, and I could talk to you for hours about that year, and I thank wish we had more time, but I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for coming on today and for that year and that team and you guys. We just loved you guys so much, and, and, and I'm sure you know thank that you. over the 50 years, but this is my my chance to say it to somebody from that team. I've told Cranepool, right, I've you. met Cranepool, and now I have my chance to say it to you, and I just want to thank you so much. I will tell you one story before we leave. Though. Okay. Uh, over the years, over the years, um, I've had. I'm, I'm not venture. I'm. It, I'm probably pretty close to the right number. I've had 150 thousand people come up to me to tell me they were at the last game when we won the World <laughs> Series, and I know the ballpark only held 53 thousand. And so whatever they say to me is fine. If they think they were there. And uh, I said, really, you were there? He said, yeah, we have the tickets at home. So I believe him. So uh, I'm telling you, 150,000 people were there when we won the World Series. So God bless them. And and you've made that impact on everybody. And this book is just, I, I, I mean, if you're a Met fan and you remember that year, you have to read this book. The book is just, as you say, it is a brotherhood. And it's so touching. It's so fascinating. It's just, I, I can't. I, I, I'm running out of adjectives to describe it, but uh, again, thank you for taking the time today. I thank so you. appreciate thank it. so much for those kind words. I hope people do get it, and and um, I'm curious of everybody's comments. And I hope I hope what it does is basically just touch people's lives and and give them a little bit uh, of a remembrance of how great that team was. It certainly will. And, and thanks again, Art. All right, my pleasure. 
And we're back, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with Art Chamsky. Uh, it, it's a lot of fun for me to go back and listen to these uh, interviews, and uh, I tell you, that's one of my favorite interviews. Uh, of course, I'm old enough to remember that team, so it, it uh, was really a big thrill for me to talk to uh, Mr. Shamsky. But pick up the book, After the Miracle, Art Shamsky, Eric Sherman, terrific book this generation or my generation boys of summer i'll tell you you're going to enjoy it and until we meet again remember to hit that subscribe and like button on youtube especially and uh, on your podcast app hit the subscribe button so you'll always be aware of when an episode is released of Mets music. So until next time, remember to keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Jeff McNeil signed for years. And I'll see you next time on another edition of Mets Music.